welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I am Jasmine Hernandez, and I am your host for this podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the murder of Sophie Duplanter. Before we jump into this story, I'm going to list my references that I use to gather the information on this case. Wikipedia, a woman's health article by Amy Schliffler. Reddit, a Netflix series, Sophie, a murder in West Cork, and a biography article by Sarah Kettler. A French woman was brutally murdered near her rural Irish home on the quiet morning of December 23, 1996, in West Cork, Ireland. Her body was left partially clothed in the laneway between her neighbor's home. She was dressed in a white t-shirt, long johns, and walkie boots with no socks, and the leg of her long johns was caught on some nearby barbed wire. The gate into her home was covered in blood. There was a blood-stained piece of slate and cinder block on the side of the road in a thorn bush. Sophie died of multiple fractures to her head and blunt force trauma. On her neck was an abrasion of nine parallel scratches that some investigators believe matched the soles of dock-style Martin boots. She had injuries to her hands, which indicated that she was trying to defend herself from her attacker. Samples were taken from underneath her nails, as well as a rape kit. Sophie suffered fractures to her thorax, but the spine was still intact, and she had no injuries to the lower limbs of her body. Sophie's wounds were aligned with being beaten to death by a blunt weapon, such as a rock being driven into the skull. There was an indentation in the earth beneath Sophie's head that indicated that she was already on the ground when she was murdered. Sophie Tuscan Duplanter was a French television producer. She was born in July 28, 1957 to Marjorie and George Sophie was described as an Alice in Wonderland person. There was just something about her. She loved to be alone and found peace in dark history. She was married to Daniel and a mother to a son, Pierre, from her first marriage. Sophie visited Ireland several times as a teenager, and in 1993, she bought a cottage in West Cork as a holiday retreat. She would visit this home regularly with her son, Pierre. Sophie's marriage to Daniel was like any other marriage. They had their fair share of problems. Daniel was a French film producer. He was well known within the world of France films, and he was the head of a French academy for somatic arts, where he would work with A-list actors. Sophie told her friends and family that she was unhappy in her marriage with Daniel, as the public sees Daniel as this happy and friendly guy. Behind closed doors, he was the opposite. He was depressed and a dark man. In 1992, Sophie told Daniel that she wasn't happy and she was leaving. She told her cousin that she's been speaking to a man by the name of Bruno Carbet, and the two were going to be moving in together. During the course of her relationship with Bruno, she started to notice that he was becoming very possessive and dark and controlling with her. A year into their relationship, Sophie started to realize that the man that she thought he was He wasn't anymore. The kind, sweet gestures were gone, and this man was dangerous. 
A little after a year, Sophie decided that it would be best to break things off with Bruno. So around Christmas of 1993, Sophie ended the relationship. Bruno did not take the ending of the relationship well. Bruno stalked Sophie to Paris and assaulted her shortly after their breakup. He took it as sending her screws by mail to scare her. Shortly after Sophie broke it off with Bruno, she went back to her husband, Daniel, to rekindle their marriage. On December 22, 1996, it is believed that Sophie enjoyed a nice glass of wine with an unknown individual when she was brutally murdered outside her home. Reports and theories are that Sophie had a companion over late Sunday evening. It is believed that Sophie fled to the back door where blood was found. Sophie took off running to her neighbor's house as their lights were on when the suspect closed in on her, hitting her in the head with a cinder block, causing her to fall to the ground and into a thorn bush, where the suspect beat her over the head repeatedly until she was no longer moving. On December 23, 1996, Sophie's neighbor, Shirley Foster, was walking around outside when she stumbled upon Sophie's body lying outside her laneway beside her home. Shirley immediately called the police. When the police arrived on the scene, they searched the home to find that there were two chairs that had been moved up to the radiator and there were two glasses of wine with traces of wine still in them found upon the mantel. Given the nature of the attack, it seemed inconceivable that the killer could not have left DNA or clues at the scene of the crime or in the home. Yet the police found no traces of DNA or any evidence at the home or at the scene of the crime. Sophie was last seen at 4 p.m. by her neighbors outside her home, and her husband stated that he spoke to his wife at 11 p.m. that night. As news spread of a French woman's murder in West Cork, Sophie's family grew anxious by the hour that Sophie wasn't answering her phone. Sophie's brother called Shirley, Sophie's neighbor, to see if she heard from Sophie. When Shirley answered the phone, all Sophie's brother can hear were the screams and cries he yelled, was it Sophie? To which Shirley cried, yes, yes, it was. As her family's world started to fall apart, her brother had to make the devastating call to Sophie's husband and son. On December 26, Sophie's mother, father, brother, and aunt all made their way from France to West Cork, Ireland to identify the body of their beloved Sophie. Daniel decided that he would not be in attendance to identify his wife's body. He didn't want to see her that way, he said. He made it known early in the investigation that he didn't want to speak to reporters and he didn't want the reporters speaking to their family regarding the murder of Sophie. He didn't want the media attention. As police were scrambling to find the connections that Sophie may have had since she arrived in West Cork on the 21st, Mary Farrell contacted the police. She stated that Sophie came into her shop on the 21st after she arrived. Mary stated that she noticed a man was standing outside watching Sophie. He was wearing a long, dark coat and looked scruffy. Mary brought this up to the police as she saw the same man at a local grocery store a few days after the murder when she told the police that that was him. That was the man outside her store. On January 11th, 1994, there was a major discovery in this case. Police received a phone call from a woman by the name of Fiona. She stated that at around 3 a.m. the night of Sophie's murder, she saw a man at Clefflet Bridge. The chief asked the public for this woman to please come forward with information about that night. Sophie's murder was hanging on this one lead. Fiona called back again. 
this time from a call box in Leap, West Cork. The police could not understand why she would not want to come forward with her real name and bring this information to the police. Fiona made one more phone call to the police. This time, she did it from her home. The police were able to trace that call back to the residence of Mary Farrell, a married woman of West Cork. The police learned that Mary was out with a man that was not her husband the night of Sophie's murder driving around the back roads. At around 3 a.m., Mary saw a man drunk and waving his arms around the bridge. The description of the man was vague. Mary said she didn't know this man. All she remembered was that he appeared to be wearing a long, dark coat and boots. Ian Bailey was the first reporter on the scene. Ian lived approximately three miles from Sophie's house in West Cork. Ian stated to the police that a friend by the name of Eddie Cassidy called Bailey around 2 p.m. to report the murder of a woman in West Cork. Bailey drove directly to the crime scene. When Ian arrived, witnesses stated that he walked around the crime scene, he didn't ask any questions, and then he just left. As news spread across Ireland and France, Ian became the reporter of the murder investigation. Reports were coming in from all around Ireland and France to cover the details of the murder in West Cork. In the articles published by Ian Bailey, he was confident that the person that murdered Sophie was an outsider, someone from France. Ian stated that Daniel killed his wife to avoid a divorce settlement numerous times. It was known that Sophie and Daniel were having problems and even separated a few years earlier. And if a divorce was going to happen, Daniel was going to be out of a lot of money. Friends and family could not help but speculate on what might have happened and who might have wanted to hurt Sophie. As the days passed and they grew longer, the only person that Sophie's family can think of that would want to cause harm to Sophie was Bruno. From the previous altercations, Bruno was the only person that's ever laid his hands on Sophie. The police were immediately alerted to get in contact with Bruno. As the police approached Bruno for questioning, they found out that Bruno was in Paris the night of Sophie's murder. He was moving into a new flat and he was having internet installed. He was able to show them the receipt of the installation. Now the police are wondering who's next. As the police followed the articles being released for any type of information to find the connection from Sophie to her murderer, they got a weird feeling. The articles being written were too well detailed. There was information in these articles that the police have never released to the public, such as the murder weapon, the wine glasses, and the fact that she was not sexually assaulted. As the police continued to do more research into the details of these papers, their number one suspect became Ian Bailey, the journalist that arrived on the scene first. Ian Bailey was born in Manchester, England on October 20th, 1956. Ian was a freelance journalist who published under the name Ian with an E, Bailey. He was also a fish farmer who can write poems and sell pizza at the market stalls. Ian moved to Ireland and lived with his partner Jules Thomas in 1992. Ian was married and recently divorced, which is why he came to West Cork for a fresh start. Police remembered that Marie saw a man that was drunk at 3 a.m. around the time of Sophie's murder. The police thought, was that man Ian Bailey? They brought Marie in for questioning, and she identified the man as Ian Bailey. She stated that as she was driving around at 3 a.m., she saw Ian on the bridge acting like a fool, but couldn't be certain that it was him. And then a few days after Sophie's murder, she was at the grocery store and saw the man again. She asked the police who that man was, which they confirmed that was Ian Bailey. 
On February 4, 1997, Malachi Reed received a ride home from Ian Bailey. As they were driving through the back roads, Ian stated that he went to that French lady's house and beat her to death. Malachi said he stayed quiet the rest of the car ride, only to tell his mother the next morning of the events that took place. Malachi and his mother went to the police to tell them what happened in the car ride. On February 10, 1997, Ian Bailey was arrested in his home for the murder of Sophie Duplanter. While being questioned at the police station, the police searched Ian's home and studio for evidence confirming that he did the murder. The police could not find anything in his home, but they did notice a fresh fire in the backyard. Bailey's neighbor, Louise, told the police that Ian was having a fire two days after the murder of Sophie, and when the police went through the ashes, they found a piece of boots and a heavy winter coat. Police arrested Jules Thomason in the connection to the murder of Sophie. Jules stated on the night of Sophie's murder, they spent most of their day at the Gallery Inn in school. They left to head home around 12.30 a.m. when they stopped at Hunts Hill, and they could see all the way to Elfie's home down the road. Elfie was Sophie's neighbor. They saw that Elfie's lights were still on, and Ian stated it looked like he was having a party. He stated, something bad is going to happen tonight. This really freaked Jules out, and she couldn't understand why he was saying it. She asked him if they can just head home. Ian got in the car, and they went home where they went to sleep, and that's where they were all night. The police released Ian and Jules, stating that they didn't have enough evidence to convict them of the crime. As time passed well into the new year, Ian started to live a normal life again. Ian went into a bar one day and struck up a conversation with Billy Poehler. Billy stated that Ian told him, F you. I think you went to Sophie's house for sexual favors and she declined you and took off running and you threw a brick at her head. When you realized what you did, you had to finish it and kill her. Billy stated that it felt like Ian was confessing to the murder of Sophie and he went straight to the police. On New Year's Eve, Richie and Rosie Shelley were drinking with Jules and Ian at a bar when they went back to the house. Ian was extremely drunk and was hugging and crying to Richie and Rosie saying that he did it. He killed Sophie. He went too far that night. They took off running down the streets, scared of what they were told. On January 27, 1998, Ian was arrested for the second time and questioned for hours but again, unfortunately was released to the lack of evidence. During this interview process, the police told Ian that Mary Fowler saw him on the bridge that night and that they know he was not in his home all night. Ian started to stalk and threaten Mary after this. She knew that she had to withdraw her statement from the police, but she didn't want to. Mary told him that she couldn't do that. She couldn't lie. Ian started making threats to her like if he was going to slit her throat or shoot her in the head. One day, Mary was going to the back of her store where Ian was sitting, parked in front of her car, looking at her, stating that he was going to shoot her. She took off running and found the nearest store with people and cried and told them what was going on. On September 22nd, 2000, Jules, Ian, and Jules's daughter were arrested once again for the murder of Sophie during their interview. Their story started to change. Jules stated that on the night of Sophie's murder, Ian got up in the middle of the night, and she had no idea where he went. She stated that she didn't see him again until 9 a.m. when he came in with a cup of coffee for her, but she told the police he also had a fresh mark on his head that was not there the night before. 
the police went to Ian and let him know that Jules gave him up. She let them know he was not in bed that whole night. That's when Ian goes, oh yeah, I couldn't sleep that night. I got up and went to the studio to finish writing my article. Yet again, the police didn't have enough evidence or a confession to convict Ian or Jules of the murder of Sophie, and they had to release him. In 2005, Mary Farrell retracted her statement saying that she did not see Ian Bailey that night. She was coached by the police to state that it was Ian Bailey, and she wanted to recant her statement. She said that the police told her if she did not state that it was Ian, that they would tell her husband she was with another man that night. In 2007, Ian decided he was going to sue the newspapers and the Irish minister for justice, the police commissioner for wrongful arrest, false imprisonment, conspiracy, assault, battery, trespass to the person, harassment, and breach of his constitutional rights. In 2016, the French government issued an ordinance effectively sending Ian Bailey to trial for voluntary homicide. In 2019, the trial of Ian Bailey, which he was absent for, began in Paris. Numerous witnesses were called to the stand, especially one that was never heard of before. Ariana was visiting Jenny Thomas for Christmas in 1996. When Ariana was taking a shower at the Thomas residence, she noticed a big bucket in the shower that was filled with a dark coat soaking. She states that she remembers seeing scratches on Ian's arms that did not align with the Christmas tree story that he was giving, but more so as of a thorn bush, like the one around Sophie's murder. On May 31st, he was found guilty of the murder of Sophie. He was sentenced to 25 years in jail by the French court. French authorities issued a European arrest warrant for the extraction of Ian Bailey to France. But sadly, in 2020, the Ireland High Court ruled that Bailey would not be extradited to France, and late in October, the Irish state did not appeal the High Court's findings, ending all attempts to send Ian to France for his sentence. Ian Bailey now walks free around West Cork, Ireland, where the community is forever haunted by the murder of Sophie. They will never have justice for this woman, and he is forever free in West Cork. My thoughts on this case. The police did not do a good job at preserving the crime scene. The gate with Sophie's blood on it went missing during transportation. And not only that, a lot of the evidence was never released to the French government for the murder trial. Sophie's family felt like they didn't take this as seriously as they should that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the unraveling case of Sophie. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next week. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez, and don't forget to stay safe, don't get murdered, or murder people, you lovely humans.